0: This is tailgate till May. If you love college sports and you like to put a little action on the games, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things. And I am here to talk college sports and talk gambling. So let's get into it. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at the same handle at Gorgon Sports. I'd love to hear from you there because I want you to be a part of the show. I want you to tell me what you're thinking, what you want to hear about, what you're feeling, what I got right, and of course, what I got wrong. And look, everybody right up front, off the bat tonight, I'm going to tell you, I'm probably not sounding great. It has not been my weekend, and I apologize for that. My mic broke in when I went to record. My backup mic, my lapel mic that I have, thought, okay, I'll use that that's not working either so we're using the computer mic i apologize for the quality i'll get this taken care of i'll get this fixed for the next episode so i'm gonna keep that this one short tonight this just hasn't been my weekend overall because if you know me you know that i love the terps i love the baltimore orioles i've been waiting years for the orioles to be in the playoffs again well they promptly go down to nothing lose two home games to the texas rangers they give up about a but Julian walks in game two. Not great. The Terps, so much hope. Go up 10-0 on Ohio State early, and then things came crashing down to earth. I'm not super down on that. We'll get into that game in a minute. But, man, just a brutal sports weekend. Yeah, top it off with my mics not working. Tough, tough, tough. But at least I was positive on the week with my picks. 7-4. Uh, you know, on my picks against the spread, money line, uh, totals, and then 0 and 1 on my money line parlay of the week for uh, a nice net of plus 2.26 units. Weirdly enough, missed on the two showdown picks. Missed on uh, the Red River game where I had Texas minus 6.5. Missed on Texas A&M against Alabama. But won almost everything else for a really nice week on the season. Now plus 5.14 units. That number is going up and up and looking to keep it going. We're about halfway through the season and uh, starting to hit our stride here. So uh, a good week from a gambling perspective. Maybe my only saving grace right now when it comes to the world of sports. So let's do this thing. Let's do the top 10 blitz. But before we do that, just a reminder that this has been a show that has always been billed as college football and college basketball. I love both the sports. I want to I cover both the sports. I bet on both the sports and I'm going to be talking about both the sports Uh, coming up shortly here as college basketball really starts kicking off. So starting this week, we will go to three episodes per week as I start doing my college basketball previews later in the week. We're about a month away from the college basketball season kicking off. And from this week through the College Football National Championship game, we will go three episodes a week because there's going to be so much to talk about with both college football and college basketball in swing at the same time, my favorite time of year, because I love both those sports so much, and I love betting on both those sports. So just a little piece of housekeeping there, three episodes a week coming to your feed so we can hit both football and basketball. This is a busy time. It's a fun time. So top 10 blitz, let's do it. And I want to talk about these top two teams kind of together because Georgia, the number one team in the country, dominates at home against Kentucky. This is a game we've been waiting for. They win 51 to 13. They cover the 14 and a half point spread. And it was utter domination as Georgia outgains the Wildcats 608 to 183 in terms of yards. Carson Beck has a really nice day goes from almost 400 yards through the air, and Georgia looked like the team that we've been waiting to see all year as they destroy Kentucky. Michigan has not quite been so sleepy. They've just been quietly dominating teams, not covering a ton because they've been playing really slow. But they roll Minnesota 52-10. to They cover the 19-point spread, and Michigan just continues to roll. They hold Minnesota to 169 yards here. And these two teams together, they had a hell of a weekend. And they, they looked like the top two teams in the country, despite the fact that Michigan still hasn't really played anybody who could give them a legitimate game. I, I do want to call out when we talk about Michigan. I want to ask the question, is J.J. McCarthy getting enough love? because this is a guy now that's at almost a 78% completion percentage. He's thrown 11 touchdowns to three interceptions and he has the best quarter QBR of anybody in the nation. So this is a guy that I bet to win the Heisman at 30 to 1 before the season. He's still sitting there at 30 to 1 and I'm wondering if you don't have you hadn't taken it if it's worth going in on. Because this is a guy who has had a really nice year. He's on the number two team in the country. They haven't had any big primetime, everybody's watching games yet, but they will because they have Penn State and they have Ohio State. And those games are going to have so many eyeballs on them. If McCarthy puts up big numbers in those games, despite the fact that he he will not come anywhere close to some of these quarterbacks like Michael Penix when it comes to like the raw counting stats the amount of yards for example he has uh, about 1300 yards right now McCarthy does and Penix has almost 2000 but from an efficiency perspective, if you look at things like QBR, if you look at McCarthy's yards per attempt, which is 10.3 yards per attempt to eighth nationally, he stacks up really well. He's not going to come close on the counting numbers, though. The only thing holding him back there and probably why he's at 30-1. to But if Michigan can go undefeated, they can make the college football playoff for the third straight year, they win the Big Ten for the third straight year, and he's a guy who leads them. He's the guy who has a nearly 80% completion percentage. He dominates in a couple big games against t- other top five teams, especially that Ohio State game, which always has a ton of eyeballs on it on Thanksgiving weekend. I think he's in the mix to get to New York. And at 30-1, to one, I think it might still be worth a shot. I'm just going to roll with what I have, which I already have him at 30-1. I also have Penix, which I'm really excited about. So I feel like I'm in a really good situation when it comes to some of my preseason Heisman bets there. Michael Penix, I saw today, is now actually the favorite on FanDuel to win the Heisman, ahead of Caleb Williams now. It's a guy I was able to get at 16-1 to before the season. Put that in in July. So I feel good sitting with McCarthy and Penix there. But if if you're not invested in the Heisman right now, I think McCarthy's still a guy to look at, given how good he's been, how how low the lights have been shining on him because the bright lights are about to be on him. And if he performs the way I think he can in those games, Michigan wins those games, which I think they are the best team in the Big Ten right now. I think he gets that New York invite. So something to watch there. But UGA and Michigan both roll. They both look like the top two teams in the country over the weekend. Now, going to number three, Texas. This was the game of the weekend to me. Texas loses to Oklahoma. 34 to 30 in Red River. Of course, they don't cover the six and a half point spread because they lost the game outright. And I just have to say, wow, Red River, it always lives up to the hype. There are some rivalries where it seems like, okay, yeah, this is a rivalry in name. This is a rivalry where one team dominates, though, when it's not a surprise what's going to happen. That's not Red River. Red River lives up to the hype almost every single time. It's always weird. It's always wacky. It's always wild. It's always crazy. And this year was no different as Oklahoma gets the win. They move up to number five in the latest AP poll. And going into this game in the preview, I thought the difference would be that Oklahoma would not be able to run the ball and get against Texas. And wow, was I wrong about that because Oklahoma had great success on the ground, something I didn't think they had in their, in their tool belt. I didn't think they would be able to move the ball on the ground the way their offensive line had looked this year in games like the Cincinnati one. But it was the running game led by Dylan Gabriel, who goes through 285 through the air, 113 on the ground, and he gets them going, wow, Oklahoma, wow, Dylan Gabriel, wow, the Oklahoma running game and you got to give a lot of credit to Oklahoma for the way they came out just the energy and the passion that they seem to be playing with a great game plan by Brent Venables he has that defense playing really well super opportunistic defense they turned Texas over three times it was a game that I thought was really close and I'm excited to watch these two teams probably play again in the Big 12 championship game Texas, you know, I I felt like they were, they fell victim to certainly a, a fluky interception early. They got a break by blocking a punt. Uh, for a touchdown, but there was some times where Texas just in the red zone was not able to convert, and I think that definitely hurt them in this game, something that's hurt them throughout the season and uh, something that they got to improve upon. But this loss right here for Texas is why that Alabama game was so big, because I still see Texas as having a very clear path to the college Football Playoff. If they run the table the rest of the way, they can beat Oklahoma in a rematch of this game. They're going to the college 12 playoff. I think the big 12 championship game will essentially be a play-in game to the college 12 playoff. Cause I just look at that Texas schedule and they have a buy next week, which they, you got to have after this game, uh, recuperate, reset, and then get on with your season. But they go on the road to Houston. They have BYU at home, Kansas state at home at TCU, at Iowa State, and Texas Tech at home. There is not a game on that schedule which should scare them. But this is going to be kind of the question. I thought they had answered this question earlier in the year already, the way they handled Kansas, the way they handled Baylor after that Alabama win is, can they beat these teams that they're supposed to take care of? Nothing about that Oklahoma loss made me say, hmm, this is a Texas team that same old Texas, they can't do it, they're not tough, they're going to let their guard down. No, I didn't think that. I just thought Oklahoma played really well. I thought it was a, a big-time battle between these two schools, these two teams, and a big-time rivalry game. I thought both teams showed up. Oklahoma played better. Oklahoma executed. Oklahoma took advantage of some opportunities. But Jonathan Brooks, that running game for Texas, I still think is really good. Jonathan Brooks, man, I mean, he's a guy who nobody's going to make you forget about Bijan Robinson, but he's replaced him really nicely. One of my big questions for them. Uh, I like, I really like what he's doing and I still like this Texas team a lot. You know I talked about before this game that if you like Texas at all, you need to get in on them now to win the national title because if they beat Oklahoma, you're never gonna get 11 to one odds again. Well now the odds have dropped all the way to 20 or gone up, I rather to 20 to 1. And so I actually went in on another half unit on Texas at 20 to 1 because I still do think they have that clear path to the national title i think this was just a game that could have gone either way uh oklahoma came out on top and uh i I like kind of buying low there on texas but i don't want to take away from what oklahoma did because it was impressive especially the way things went in year one under brent venables not the way anybody wanted to go especially the way they got smashed last year in red river 49-0. They played five quarterbacks because of the Dylan Gabriel injury, and it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for a proud Oklahoma program that has always been on top. I talked about it on the preview episode a couple days ago, but people talk about Oklahoma and Texas like they are the two big dogs in the Big 12. No, no. Oklahoma is the big dog in the Big 12. Texas is is a puppy. Texas is a little puppy that thinks it's a big dog when you compare it to Oklahoma. And that was embarrassing for Oklahoma. It was embarrassing for Oklahoma fans. And I think there was a lot of consternation around, okay, we lost Lincoln Riley. Is Brent Venables the guy? You can't make that judgment after one year, but it wasn't a promising start. And I'm sure Venables felt some of that. And he's done an excellent job this year, elevating the level of that defense. I think the offense has been very good and they are right there now with a chance to make the college football playoff, win the big 12 and get back to that standard that, you know, 60, 70 years of Oklahoma football has represented. And I talked in that preview episode about this transition from the Big Twelve to the SEC is kind of like going from middle school to high school, where you don't want to be the kid that peed your pants in the sixth grade, because that's going to carry over with your reputation from middle school to high school. And that's not Oklahoma right now. They fixed that. They are now... The kid who is uh, the coolest kid in the eighth grade. The kid who made the football, basketball, and baseball team that everybody wants to hang out with. They got it all going on right now, and that's kind of the importance of this game and this year for Texas and Oklahoma. They're the kid that's, uh everybody wants to date. They're the eighth-grade kid everybody wants to date. They're that eighth-grader that, like, is... Five-foot-nothing, and then all of a sudden is six-foot-two overnight. That's Oklahoma right now as they make that transition from middle school to high school, from the Big 12 to the SEC. And again, not a slight to the Big 12. I love the Big 12. Big 12's a great league. It's a fun league. But this is going to be a step up in competition, and it's not like going from high school to college where you get to start over. No, everybody is seeing what you are doing in the Big 12 as you make this transition. And that's why I liken it from going from middle school to high school. Uh, You want to be the guy, and Oklahoma is becoming the guy as they make that transition. So uh, just a great job by by Brent Venables there. Can't say enough about him. Let's move on to Ohio State and their 37-17 win over Maryland. And I got some thoughts on this one. Ohio State gets the win. Ohio State gets the cover. But this is one where Maryland was up 10 0 early. And quite frankly, to me, Maryland looked like the better team in this game through a full quarter of the game. I was not impressed with Ohio State early in this one. They started slow, they had trouble running the football. And really, their defense to me looks better than their offense. I would still say at this point that Ohio, the strength of this Ohio State team is their defense. And I thought Maryland made some big mistakes in this one. There was a pick six by Talia Tungavailoa with Maryland up 10-0. That was huge. That's what got Ohio State on the scoreboard and really got them back in this game. Because at that point, let me just take you through Ohio State's first four or so possessions. Four plays for five yards on their first possession. Uh, second possession, eight plays, 27 yards, punt. So actually, uh, let me let me rewind. On that first possession, four plays, it was, uh, really three plays for five yards, and then a miscommunication on a punt that kind of turned into a scramble on the punt, got stopped, turnover on downs. Maryland scores a touchdown. Second possession, or Maryland scores a touchdown on the ensuing possession, 7 nothing. Second possession for Ohio State, eight plays, 27 yards, forced to punt at the Maryland 48 in a 4th and 13 situation. Third possession, four plays, minus 14 yards, punt. Fourth possession, four plays, 13 yards, punt. And at that point is when Maryland throws the pick six. Talia Talia Tungavailoa throws the pick six. Ohio State's offense had done nothing to that point. And I think the defense is the strength of this team. I really question Ohio State's ability to run the football. They did not have Travion Henderson in this game. Chip Tranum only had 61 yards on 20 carries for 3.1 yards per carry. Not good enough. Not good enough if you're Ohio State. Now, I will give Ohio State credit for really force-feeding it to Marvin Harrison, who broke out eight receptions, 163 yards, and a touchdown. But this, I left this game as a Maryland fan, who's somebody who watched every single snap of this game. And I felt like through a quarter, Maryland looked like the better team. I thought through a half, like it was very disappointing that Maryland was tied 10-10 with Ohio State going into halftime, but they had a good chance to finish this game off and win it. And uh, it was really. Talia Tungalaloa, he made some big mistakes in this game. He had two picks, including the pick six. He was 21 of 41. Maryland ran the ball okay, but I thought Talia made some big mistakes in this one, unfortunately. And I left this one not feeling great about Ohio State. I left this game feeling like. If they cannot run the ball, if they can't run the ball against Maryland, and who Maryland is, their defense is actually the strength of their team, believe it or not, I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to run the ball against Michigan. I think that's a big problem. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against Penn State, and that's also going to be a big problem. I left this game feeling like Michigan is the clear number one team, despite the fact that Ohio State's resume and who they've beaten is definitely better. But I think Michigan is the better team, and I was not impressed with Ohio State in this one. From a Maryland perspective, I think Maryland's a borderline top 25 team. They were just outside the top 25 going into this game. They're now 5-1, and one, and they fell in terms of how many votes they received or where they are in that ranking just outside the top 25. I think Maryland is a borderline top 25 team, and I think the big thing for Maryland will be how do they respond from this one? Can they come home? on homecoming, and take care of an Illinois team that's really struggling and get to bowl eligibility after seven games. Go 6-1, and one, and then you finish off the season going to Northwestern, Penn State at home, at Nebraska, Michigan at home, at Rutgers. You have a chance against two two of the power teams, two of the big three at home in this conference. The Michigan game is between the Penn State and Ohio State's game. A classic trap game right there. Maryland has some opportunities. Their defense has been better than their offense this year. And Talia Tungavailoa cannot make the mistakes he did in this Ohio State game. As a guy who has been around for a while, a guy who has been really good at Maryland, if they want to get over the hump and get that elusive big-time win over one of these big three programs. Talia is now a guy who's in his fifth year of college football, his fourth year as the quarterback at Maryland. He started at Maryland for four years. He's been really good. He's elevated the level of the program, but the big mistake has been something that has always kind of haunted him, and it uh, kind of reared its head against Ohio State. But I do leave this game thing like Maryland can compete. Maryland is very much in a position to potentially go 9-3, maybe even 10-2, and two, and get one of uh, get a win over one of those big time teams, ruin somebody's season, and go to a big time bowl game. If not a New Year's Six bowl, which I'm not really thinking about that right now, it's an outside shot if they go ten and two. But I'm really looking for Maryland. Like if they can go nine and three, they can get to a Citrus Bowl, whatever the Outback Bowl is called now, a New Year's Day bowl game in Florida. That would be fantastic, a uh, huge accomplishment for the program. And I think it's actually within the realm of possibility coming off that game. FSU, the number five team in the country, beats Virginia Tech 39 to 17. They don't cover the 24 points. FSU, my question for FSU is Kyron Jones, Virginia Tech's quarterback, goes for 80 yards on the ground. If there's one flaw that I'm kind of seeing with Florida State, it might be mobile quarterbacks. Because Thomas Castellanos for BC went for 95 yards on the ground, gave them a lot of trouble. And I'm wondering if, although Drake May is kind of different from those guys, Castellanos is like 5'10", Drake May's 6'4", he's a lot bigger. Drones is big and pretty well built, but I think he's a little shorter than uh, Drake May. Drake May is different, but he he's mobile. He's a very mobile guy. He can run. And I'm starting to wonder if UNC might have what it takes to take them down. So I'm kind of looking at UNC, if there's an 8-1 to one still out there on UNC, when some of these conference odds pop back up again, I might take that. I might look at it. You know, I got to see what those odds are. They have a really big game with Miami, and we're going to talk about Miami here. Don't you worry about that. But uh, that, that looks like if we're going to nitpick Florida State, which I think is what you should do with a top-five team, Uh, that's it for me. They they seem to struggle a little bit against these mobile quarterbacks on not very good teams. Number six, seven, and eight teams in the country, Penn State, Washington, and Oregon all had buys. Washington and Oregon, huge matchup next weekend against one another. Early line on that one is Washington minus three. Washington's the home team. That's exactly how I view it. I don't think I'm going to bet that game at all because I have a bunch of a bunch of Washington futures on them to win the Pac-12, then to make the college football playoff. Uh, I don't think I'm going to bet it because I view, this, I view these two teams as the, the cream of the crop in the Pac-12. I think they are about equal. And if I was making the odds, I would have made it Oregon minus three if it was in Eugene and Washington minus three – If it was in Seattle and it is in Seattle and it is Washington minus three, I don't really see a lot of value there. Somehow the team that was the number nine team in the country, USC, somehow just behind Washington and Oregon. I don't know why. I don't know how. Maybe it's because they have the defending Heisman Trophy winner. Maybe it's because of the name USC Trojans. But this team has not looked good this season against really weak competition. And this week was no different. They get down 17-0 early against Arizona. They end up coming back and winning in a late-night thriller, 43-41 in triple OT. Of course, they don't cover the 21-point spread. And to me, this is just a team that is clearly outside of those top two in the Pac-12. They have let a bunch of teams hang around or storm back in the case of Colorado. The offense was not good early, and then they did what they do. Caleb Williams, unbelievable quarterback, making plays. A lot of plays with his legs, actually, last night, which is not necessarily what you normally think of or see out of Caleb, but he showed that he can certainly do it. And they end up getting the win. The offense impresses, as always. But this they, they let teams... They let teams that are so far inferior to them stick around and hang around and be in games, and the defense is just not good enough. I view them as on a clear tier below Washington and Oregon. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I view Utah and USC as very similar for opposite reasons. USC has no defense. Utah has no offense. And to me, that puts them a clear tier below Washington and Oregon. And then the team that USC will play this weekend, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, they lose to Louisville, their third game in a row in prime time. They lose 33 to 20. Of course, they don't cover the six and a half point spread. And Louisville now moves to six and zero on the season, skyrocketing up the AP poll this week to number 14 in the country. Notre Dame drops all the way to number 21. As they move to five and two on the year, they will play in primetime again next week against USC. They opened as about a two and a half point favorite is what I'm seeing Notre Dame at right now on FanDuel. I see them minus two and a half as they get set to host USC this week. And this was a game that it just seemed like everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Notre Dame. Uh, They turned the ball over. Five times. They really struggled to run the ball. And Sam Hartman was a big part of that turnover problem. Louisville gets the win. Louisville 6-0. What a huge game for Louisville. Uh and this is kind of the start to the season that everybody projected could happen based on the schedule and based on the hopes that Jeff Braun would be able to come in and get things rolling right away got to call Jahar Jordan, the running back for Louisville, who goes for 143, two touchdowns. This is a guy that just put up massive numbers all year long for Louisville. Uh, It's super impressive, averaging 7.5 yards per carry, uh, a big-time big play guy for Louisville. And now Notre Dame, out of the national championship picture, out of the college ball playoff picture, how do they bounce back? With some big games still on the schedule against USC, against Clemson, um, and then some other ACC schools still to go there on the schedule. A couple bonus games here. Number 11 at the time, Alabama, wins on the road at Texas A&M, 26-20. They get the two-and-a-half point cover. And Alabama now looks like they are the prohibitive favorite in the SEC West. They look like a team that is probably going to go to the sec championship game. When you look around at at what the rest of that league looks like, the rest of that division looks like right now. And a team that everybody kind of wrote off after that Alabama or after that Texas loss rather is looking pretty good. And that defense is looking really good. Jalen Milrow has a couple, uh, has three passing touchdowns in this game, hits a couple big plays and this team that everybody wrote off is now right back in the thick of things. I still don't think they're national championship good. I don't think they're well-rounded enough on offense to be national championship good, but this is a good defense. This is a team that I think has to be the favorite to win the SEC West, and it looks like the team in the SEC that can give georgia the best game at this point especially the way that georgia struggled a little bit against the not a little bit struggled a lot against the quarterback run with auburn a few weeks ago so i actually think that would be an interesting sec championship the other game i gotta talk about is miami 17 miami loses 23 to 20 in brutal fashion At home to Georgia Tech, they, of course, don't cover the 19-point spread because they lost outright, and this is a game where all Miami had to do was take a knee, and the game was over. The game was going to end, or there was going to be almost no time on the clock when they punted the ball away, but I actually think the game would have ended based on, on how much time was left, and instead, they ran the ball And they fumbled. They ran the ball, and they fumbled the football with 33 seconds to go. Georgia Tech goes 74 yards on four plays to score a touchdown and get the win. This is a game that Miami statistically absolutely dominated. Absolutely dominated this game. And Georgia Tech hung around, hung around, hung around. Miami made a critical mistake by not kneeling. And it cost them big time. And it's just, I mean, you got to just be furious if you're a Miami fan. You got to be losing sleep over it because Mario Cristobal, this is not the first time he's done it. He did it while he was at the head coach at Oregon, Oregon too. They lost a game to Stanford in a very similar fashion. And I just don't know. Mario Cristobal is such a good program builder. He's such a good guy at... He's such a good person to be leading your program, to be building a program. I can't probably name five coaches that I would rather have building and leading my program than Mario Cristobal. But a little thing like that is just something you gotta figure out. And it's it's like it, it's unfathomable how that mistake gets made not once but twice over two separate points in Mario Cristobal's career. And, you know, you wouldn't think it would would happen. You wouldn't think it would come back to hurt them. It does. They lose and they have a huge game against North Carolina where now they now basically have no margin for error if they want to make it to the ACC title game because they have North Carolina and they have a game with Florida State and uh, just a brutal way to lose for Miami in that one. Team that lost, that I'm buying, I think it's pretty clear it was Texas, right? I put a half unit on them at 20 to 1 just to still win the national championship. I think that was a toss up game. I still think they have a clear path. I think they can go and still make the college ball playoff and potentially win a national championship. So I'm not out on Texas. Uh, I'm still buying the Longhorns. Team that won, that I'm selling, it's going to be Clemson. Clemson goes out, they beat Wake Forest 17 to 12 at home. And, I guys, I'm just still just not sold on this Clemson offense. Yeah, they move the ball on the ground, but it's the passing game I'm still just not sold on. Cade Klubnik. 4.7 yards per attempt, goes 18 for 28 for 131 yards. This is just not good enough. And I look at things like SP+, Bill Connolly has them basically the same as Penn State. He has them as the number 11 team in the country uh, within a point of Penn State who's number 10 in the country. And I'm not super sold on Penn State's offense right now, but I think Penn State turns this Clemson team into dust with their defense. I don't think Clemson moves the ball at all on a team like Penn State. And I think Clemson's getting too much love right now. I think they're they're overrated by the computers. I think they're overrated in everybody's mind because of the program that they are. And I just don't trust that offense right now. So I'm definitely going to be looking for some opportunities to fade Clemson. The G5 team of the week this week is is Wyoming. They go and get a huge win against Fresno State. Big shout out to them. This is going to seem like a hindsight's 2020 for sure, but that's a team that I've been kicking around at 11 to 1 to win the Mountain West and never pulled the trigger. Now I won't get those odds again and uh you know, I always say this. Nothing feels worse than a bet that you didn't make that either hits or is looking really good. That's how I feel with Wyoming, but uh, a big shout out to Wyoming for getting that win. That's a huge one for them, and they're right in the thick of the Mountain West Championship race. All right, a quick look ahead to week seven. The one bet that I have in right now is Iowa-Wisconsin under 40 and a half. I hit this one first thing this morning when it came out. Vegas, books, whatever, whatever you want to call it. If you're going to keep giving me Iowa totals that are over 40 points, I am going to hit them immediately. I, I can't understand this for the life of me. I think it has dropped quite a bit since I got it this morning. It is now down. I got it on FanDuel. It's now down to 37 and a half on FanDuel. Uh, it, Iowa over 40 and a half points, you just got to go with the under there. You can't, on principle alone, you can't believe that this Iowa any Iowa total should be over 40 right now. They go out and they get a win over the weekend, but that offense is just brutal. They did get Caleb Johnson, one of their running backs, back. He had a really nice game, uh, but the, Deacon, the the quarterback situation with Cade McNamara out, Deacon Hill in, they did not complete a... They, they did. They won the game, but did not complete a single pass to a wide receiver in this game. In the year 2023... They completed six passes. Deacon Hill, their quarterback, went six of twenty-one. Completed five passes to the tight end Eric All, one to Caleb Johnson, and they still won the game. Uh, they scored twenty points. They win twenty to fourteen. Man, I on principle alone, uh, Iowa total. At 40 or higher, has to be an under. And that's where I went as soon as I saw that one. I will be back with so much more this week, including a working microphone to preview week seven in college football. I'll give you my full card. We're going to go in depth on Oregon and Washington because we got to treat this game like it is Georgia Alabama. That's the quality, that's the level I think these two teams are at. Let's treat it that way. Just because they're West Coast teams, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse to not treat this game like the big game it is. So I'm going to be going deep on that one. I'll give you my full card. And then we are going to get into some college basketball to this season this week. And uh, that's where we're adding the third show. What a time. If you love college sports, now is the time for you. I can't wait to talk about it all later this week. That's my show for today. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.